have your Bible, it'll be Job chapter 11. If you don't, not to worry. It'll be up on the screen, or if you grab the worship guide on your way in, you'll see the scripture verses there. So you can follow along, you can take notes, you can doodle, you can do all kinds of stuff, all right? So make sure you grab that worship guide. We're just glad that you're here. Looking forward to continuing in a uh, uh, our series this morning. And um, last week, we really kind of kicked off with that, this idea that Pain is just the currency of our culture, isn't it? Pain is just kind of everywhere. There is so many people that you know, that I know, that are going through such incredible difficulties. And so when we start talking about pain, we all relate, don't we? Because we all have different struggles. We all have different pains. We all have things that we're dealing with that uh, on the surface may not seem all that apparent. And yet we're going through some difficult things. So this series kind of helps us because what happens is pain is very paralyzing. And we need to get to the point where we don't allow our pain to stop our progress. We should continue to go and continue to grow. But what happens is some people, they'll come to church and they'll come and hear a series like this. And they just kind of sit back, smile, relax because they say, I'm not going through anything. Life is pretty good for me. But the reality is we need to train for the trial we're not yet in. Because too often I see a lot of Christians, life is just going well, and then they come to a point where things aren't going so well, and they're kind of surprised by the suffering that they're going through. Because they didn't expect it. They didn't prepare for it. They didn't get ready for the trial that will hit us. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to make you worried. I'm just saying the reality is life is filled with pain. Life is hard. Life is difficult. So we need to take God's word, put it into our hearts and say, okay, Lord, when it does come, I want to be ready. I don't want to bail out when things get tough. I want to stick and I want to stay for your honor and glory. Well, we're going to read in Job chapter number 10, excuse me, I said 11, but we're going to be in chapter 10. And I want to begin reading in verse number seven, and we're just going to read eight verses, okay? But let me give you a little bit of background, okay? In chapter two of Job, Job's three friends come and they visit him to encourage him, to comfort him, and to kind of be there for him in this time of difficulty. But here's the thing about Job's friends, what they did not understand. Job's friends felt like that as long as you lived right and you followed the golden rule, nothing bad should ever happen to you. Don't you wish that was true? Like, if I, just, if I just follow the golden rule, if I just do what I'm supposed to do, then guess what? Nothing bad will ever happen to me. But it's just not reality, is it? But yet Job's friends just couldn't wrap their head around that. And so Job's friends come to him, and they, in a very nice but very kind of offensive way, kind of said, hey, Job, what secret sin are you doing in your life? I mean, God just wouldn't do this to somebody if they weren't doing something really bad, I mean, come on, Job, there's something you did, you're holding out, you're hiding. And so Job's friends come to him and Job hears them and they talk to him and they start saying these horrible things that, hey, of course, God's going to judge the wicked. Of course, God would take your children. And Job's just sitting there and saying, you guys are supposed to be my friends. You guys are lousy friends. So we're gonna pick it up in chapter 10. And here's what Job kind of says to them in response, because they're saying, hey, Job, we know you're doing something bad. Just, just confess. Just kind of get it out there. It'll help you be therapeutic. And so in chapter 10, we see what Job says, kind of to his friends, kind of to himself, and really kind of to the Lord. Let's see if we can find ourselves in verse number 7. The Bible says this, Thou knowest that I am not wicked. That's how he starts out. He says, hey, 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 God, you know that I'm not wicked. 
chapter 1, we see that Job was a man who would constantly offer up sacrifices. He was constantly doing that. And so he says, thou knowest I'm not wicked. And he says, and there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. Verse number 8, thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about. Yet thou dost destroy me. You see, Job is perplexed. Job is thinking, God, you formed me. You made me. Verse number 9, remember, I beseech you that thou hast made me as clay. And wilt thou bring me to dust again? Hast thou not poured me out like milk and curdled me like cheese? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor. And thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. And these things hast thou hid in thine heart. And I know that this is with thee. Verse number 14. If I sin, then thou markest me. And thou wilt not acquit me for mine iniquity. If I be wicked, woe unto me. And if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. But here's what Job says in verse number 15. I am full of confusion. As soon as I read that this week, I was like, that's it. That's where it's at. Because when you're going through something difficult, and when I'm going through something difficult, guess what our first reaction is? I'm confused. I'm dazed. I I don't understand this. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't understand why I've got to feel this. I don't understand why uh, why uh, why I was doing this and it, and it just happened. You know, I was talking to my wife this week, and I said, you know, it'd be really cool if God put, like, three little lights on the back of your head somewhere so that I kind of knew how to read you. Because she's like, no, no, I'm very easy to read. And I was like, <laughs> um, uh, not really. And she was like, no, no, you just got to watch for my signals. And I was like, yeah, that's why I, I think it'd be cool if God put three little lights, like red light, yellow light, and green light. You know, like, okay, what does she want? Oh, it's green. Okay, this is what she wants. And then you know, when I'm, when I'm kind of on the fence, and it's kind of a yellow light or something, and then, and then when I'm doing something, she really doesn't like it's a red light not that she just gives me the silent treatment or she just walks out of the room or gives me that look or just kind of like stares because she's like my signs are really clear I'm like no they're not like it'd be a whole lot easier and some of you ladies you're thinking man my husband's just just so mean no no, no. He, he, let me help you ladies out we're just clueless all right, that's, that's the reality of it. We, we really don't have a clue. We're not trying to be jerks. We're not trying to be mean. We just haven't got a clue. And you giving us the look, we're like, oh, no, it's, it's the look. And we, we have no idea what your look means. Or you um, giving us a silent treatment, we're like, what's going on? And, and then later on, we find out it wasn't even about us. And we're going through our mind. We're like, what did I do wrong today? Did I leave the toilet seat up? Did I, did I, did I wake her up in the morning? Did, uh, what, what did I do wrong? We're going through this whole list because we can't read your signals. And then what's even funnier is that you ladies think you can read each other's signals. And then there's all kinds of drama that happens. So you're not even good at reading each other's signals. So don't try to make it hard on the men, folk, that, hey, you guys just need to learn our signals. No, nobody can make sense of your signals, all right? Let's just put it down right now. We're confused. Men and women are totally different. There's a lot of confusion. But we're talking about something real here that as you've been uh, making a decision, you say, I'm going to get my life back on track. I'm going to get back into church. I'm going to get back living how I should be. Uh, I skipped too much church, and so I'm going to get back to that. I I, I don't read my Bible anymore. I'm going to get back to those things. And all of a sudden, you start doing that, (laughs) and then your wife gets really sick. You're like, God, I'm, I'm trying to do this, and this happens. All of a sudden, you're like, hey, I'm going to start tithing. You know, uh, I'm supposed to give 10% of my, my, uh, my income back to God, and I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start being faithful to that. And all of a sudden, you lose your job, and you're like, God, you, you put that on my heart, and I, I take that next step, and that's how you're going to do me? Really? 
you're going along. You're saying, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to jump into ministry, and I'm going to get involved, and I'm, I'm going to help out in the nursery, and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, uh, a parent who gets upset at you, and they says, you, 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 you mishandled my child. My child's screaming, so I'm never coming back to church. And you're like, I just volunteer to help watch your child, and you're all mad at me? Like, really? For real? Like, God, what's going on? I'm confused. And I think all of us have been to those points where we're just kind of looking around at our life, and we're just kind of like, what's going on? I mean, I'm just trying to serve you, Lord. I'm trying to just volunteer and help out and, and be a part of something, but yet everything I try to do just seems to fail. It seems to make my life worse. It's almost like, Lord, my life was better before I even tried, so maybe I should just go back to stop trying. There's a lot of people like that. And here's the thing. We don't say it out loud. We want, some of you are like, I'm not going to nod my head. I'm not going to shake my head. I'm not going to make eye contact with that dude. Because then he's going to assume that it's me. And he's going to assume that I'm thinking about not coming to church. And he's going to assume that I'm thinking about not serving anymore. So just, this is one, I'm just going to look at the screen. I'm just, I'm just not going to look at him. Even if he looks at me, I'm just not going to look. Because the reality is, you're just as confused as I am. We're all confused this morning. And we're just like Job, who Job's walking around just saying, Lord, you know that there's nothing inside of me that I've done wrong. Lord, my friends told me that there's something I'm hiding, and you know I'm not hiding anything. But God, I'm a little bit confused because I almost feel like I wish there was. At least I'd have a reason for this. Because you're racking your brain why you're going through such a difficult time, and you're like, there's not even a reason. There's no, there's no, no point to this. And that's what we're going to really dive into this morning. Because the first thing, when you're confused, the first thing you look for is clarity. You're like, no, 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 I want a solution. No, 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 you're looking for clarity. When you're confused, you want clarity. I tell people all the time, I have a very hard, I'm very hard of hearing, and so I often have to have people repeat themselves. And sometimes it's kind of funny because they think it's a joke. And I'm like, no, no, you got to say it again. And then they say it a little bit louder. And I'm like, eh, a little bit louder. And they, they're like yelling. I'm like, I got it. And they're like, good night, man. How old are you? Your ears like are incredible. They're just so deaf. And I'm like, no, no, it's not a joke. I, for real, I can't hear you. I need more clarity. And some of you, you're like, God, would you just shout at me? Would you just make it more clear? And you want clarity this morning. And I, what I need to say to you, and you're not going to like this, is that you need to get comfortable with confusion. You just need to get comfortable with it. You say, what do you mean? Because you're not going to understand everything. And guess what? It's not always God's intention that you understand. You say, no, 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 God wants me to understand. That's why he wrote his word. That's why he sent his son. No, you, you Okay, let's just stop for a second. He sent his son to die for my wicked, awful, rebellious, sinful heart. That makes no sense. You try to make that make sense. It makes none. So don't tell me that everything God does makes sense. It doesn't. So we need to get to the point in our Christian faith where we say, Lord, I don't have clarity on this. I would like clarity. It might help out. But I just don't quite understand this. And here's the thing. Let me take it to another level. You understand this perfectly if you're a parent. Because don't tell me your child understands why they need to brush their teeth. Otherwise, they go to the dentist and have to get their cavities filled. They, they don't understand. They're like, really, who needs teeth? Come on. This is the baby teeth. These are falling out anyway. They can just get all kinds of cavities. It doesn't matter. And so they don't understand why you're taking them to the dentist and the dentist is going to give them those shots. Or they don't understand why they've got to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to give them their hepatitis shot, give them all these shots. Have you noticed kids get a bunch of shots today? I think I got like two growing up, all right? It was just like, you're good. Tetanus shot. You're good. You'll be fine, all right? But today, 
Man, every four months, getting more shots, and they come in like double doses. Like, you need a shot for this, shot for this. Everybody just taking shots, all right? Now, we're talking about real needle shots, not, not uh, no, no. You're like, I like this church. That's what I'm talking about. That's what church ought to be. We need to get shots before we go. No, no. We might grow a lot faster, but you guys wouldn't hear a thing I'm saying. You'd be like, whoa, this is a great place. No, all right? So we see that we're just, as a parent, we understand that even our children won't understand. They just don't get it, but yet we understand it's for their benefit. So we're this morning, where can we find clarity? And I want to give you some things that might help you this morning as we try to get as much clarity as we possibly can, because we need to realize, and I just need you to touch your neighbor and say, you know what, just get comfortable with confusion. Just get comfortable with confusion. But I want you to understand this. Let's look at verse number seven, what what he says. He says, thou knowest that I am not wicked. Why would, when all these bad things that have happened to him, why is Job talking to God? Because he understands something that you and I need to understand. And if you're a new Christian here, or if you're not a believer here, you need to understand something about God that is from now on. On. You say, what do you mean from now on? From now on, you need to have this in your life. You need to understand this from now on. That you may not, you didn't plan for this to happen, but you need to know who is behind it. Because a lot of times we feel like, well, I've sinned and God's out to get me. And you need to understand that it is God who is behind it. And let me say it like this. That everything is filtered through the Father. Everything is filtered through the Father. You understand filters. I don't know, some of you still have the old school coffee makers where you get that coffee filter and you pour the grinds, one or two scoops in there. You understand that that hot water is filtered through that coffee and you you understand the filter. We have fuel filters. We have all kinds of filters that we use. You filter your water. Some of us, I can't believe it, we're spending all this money on filtered water because we want things that are cleaned and purified. And understand, everything that's coming into your life doesn't just come without God's uh, awareness. God is not standing back as um, a many deists would suppose that God created the world, but then it's hands-off just kind of do whatever you want to do. He's not involved at this point. No, no. Everything in your life is filtered through the Father. That everything that is happening to you, it is God's, it is God allowing, it is coming through God. Even Satan, before he could touch Job, he had to get permission from God. So understand what you're going through now and just say from now on, I understand that everything that's happened to me is filtered through the Father. So he is not going to allow something in my life that is not ultimately for his glory and for my good. So it's being filtered through him. Here's the thing, though. Many times when we look at the Father, we find it very hard to trust God as our Father, especially if we don't know him. You say, why is that? And Job said it best. He said this in a few chapters later when he's talking to his friends because his, his, his own wife just said, curse God and die. His friends are like, you're hiding some sin. You need to confess it. And Job makes this bold declaration in Job 13, verse 15. He says, though God slay me, I'll still trust him. Because he understood that no matter what happens, it's being filtered through the Father. Many times, you and I wrestle with this question. You say, what is the question that we wrestle with? Some here are not entirely convinced that God loves you. Let me say it again. You are not entirely convinced that God actually really loves you. I mean, you understand that God is love. You you get that. You just don't think God loves you. You think because what you've done or what's happened in your life that God can't really love 
you. And some of you, you think about maybe in this abstract sense that, yeah, yeah, God just kind of loves everybody, but he doesn't really like me. Like he doesn't, yeah, he may love me, but I don't know if he really likes me. You know those people out there that they're, you just click. You're like, man, we just, we just, you work with them. You see them, they're family, they're friends. And you're just like, we click. And, and, and you're wondering if, if, if you and God have that same reaction. And when you start thinking about God and you're thinking, no, I, I don't think so. You know, if I were to ask you, are you a good Christian? Some of you would say, well, you know, I've done some bad things. I try try to go to church, try to read my Bible. Every once in a while, I'll slip up. I do, do some messed up things. And, 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 and so I, I, I don't know if I really am. That's just kind of our natural tendency, right? That, that, that I don't know. And so when it comes to everything being filtered through the Father, you don't really know where is our relationship standing. Because if you don't feel like you have a good relationship with the Father, it just seems like, well, yeah, he's just going to ruin my life then. But you need to understand at the fundamental core that does God really love me? I am Mark Ermler's son. You'd say, hey, that, that's where Ermler came from. I'm Micaiah Ermler. I'm named after Mark Ermler. And if you were to say, hey, who is your father? I would say it is Mark Ermler. And you would say, hey, are you a good Ermler? I wouldn't say, well, sometimes I do some bad things, and I really try to be a good Ermler. Is me being an Ermler based on anything that I do? Being an Ermler has nothing to do with my performance. It has nothing to do with my performance. You being a good Christian, and I'm just going to say it because some of you really wrestle with this, has nothing to do with your performance. And Job's friends could not wrap their head around it. They thought they have to perform. They didn't understand its position. You see, the moment you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, the moment you say, I am a sinner, I need a savior, Jesus comes into you, you become a joint heir with God. You are now the child of God, joint heir with Christ. You are a prince, you are a child of God, you are a daughter of God, you are a son of God. You no longer have to worry about your performance, it's now based on your position. So when I ask you, do you think God loves you? You can say, based on my position, God loves me. But for some of you, you're still hung up on your performance. And you can't get over the fact. So whenever anything bad happens, you really freak out because you think God's love and the way he treats you is based on performance. That's why a lot of Christians get really upset and they'll go to a church that says, you need to perform, 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 perform. And matter of fact, sometimes I'm like, I, I, I don't think you really understand the love of God. Because when you really understand the love of God, that motivates you, that changes you, that drives you to that point. Because God's saying, hey, it's not based on your performance. There's nothing Job can do for God. There's nothing that God wants Job from Job. But here Job needs to come to this point where he understands God is filtering it through him. And God loves him and he'll take him. So this morning, you just may need to write that down. That it is based on my position. That I'm positionally a child of God. And that changes the way he loves me. My wife said something brilliant yesterday. Just awesome. I don't care uh, how long you've been saved or, or, or how old, how young you may be. She's a wise person to talk to. And she said this yesterday. She said, you know, when God wakes up, it's just like when you wake up and you think about your children. Do you wake up and just think, I can't wait to mess up my child's day today. This is going to be so fun. Man, I'm going to be out front of his door. I'm going to bucket of ice water. As soon as he walks out, good morning. And then as soon as he goes, I'm going to make him this breakfast, and I'm just going to put all kinds of nasty stuff in that. I'm just going to make him the worst breakfast, and I'm going to make him eat it. And then, you know what? I'm going to start driving him to school, and then I'm going to 
drive out to the country and drop them off 10 miles from school. And I'm just going to say, have a great day. And then when he gets home, I'm going to have all the doors locked. I'm going to make him sleep outside. I'm going to make his day miserable. And some of you think that's what God thinks. No, you wake up and you think this. This is what she said. You wake up and you think, I just want my child to have a good day today. You even say as they leave, I hope you have a good day. I hope you have a good day. I hope school goes well. Hey, I hope work goes well. Hey, be safe out there. Hey, text me when you get there. Call me when you get there. So why do you think it's any different between you and God? Don't you think that when you wake up in the morning, God's saying, I really hope you have a good day. I prepared it for you. Look, it's beautiful. There's a beautiful sunrise for you. I want to start your day off right. I really want you to enjoy today. I really hope things go well. Now, it's not going to be perfect. But you know what? Guess what? I want to start this day off right. Hey, let's talk in the morning. Hey, let's fellowship because I made this beautiful day for you. And for some of you, this morning, the message you need is to understand that what's going through, what's happening to you is not based on anything that you've done performance-wise. I need you also to understand this. You must push past the performance trap. It is a trap, friends, where you feel like I've got to perform, perform, perform. Otherwise, God's not going to like me, appreciate me, want to be with me, and want to take care of me. And you're worried that God's not going to watch out for your family. We're not going to watch out for your finances. He's not going to watch out for your relationships, that he's not involved, that he's distant, he's not engaged. And for you, that is a miserable way to live. So until you come to the point that God is my father, and my father loves me, and my position, it's not based on my performance. It's based on the fact that his son paid the ultimate penalty penalty for me and lives inside of me and changes everything about me. So you got to push past that performance trap because it is a trap, my friends. Because I meet Christians, they're, they're so worried about, hey, what do I wear? Oh, what did I do? What did I watch? What happened? My sister, uh, Lydia, she was our children's pastor for a long time when she was really young. I was playing in our backyard. And we had a huge ping pong table. And the ping pong table fell. And the way it fell, her arm was propped up and it clipped the bottom of her arm, and I've never seen a broken bone like that. You say, why? why, why what was so interesting about it? You know how your bone's supposed to be straight? Hers was like this. And I kid you not, you could go like this with it. The bone completely severed. Didn't break the skin, but it was the most gruesome bone break. You could hear the snap. And for some of you that don't like the cracking of knuckles, it was nothing like, I mean, this is like a wood just snapping. Like you just taking a twig and just kind of breaking it and that's what happened you heard this horrendous scream and then she's walking in the house and she's holding up the pieces of her arm and she's walking out and i know it's halloween that's why i can use a gruesome illustration to kind of get you guys into the spirit of things all right and she walks in and my mom just starts covering it with a napkin she's like just don't look at it okay and like it'll be okay and the whole time it felt so bad because she was saying i'm sorry i'm sorry i i'm sorry i knocked over the ping pong table And you know what my dad did? He rushed over to her and he said, you know why you knocked it over? Because you haven't been having a quiet time. You haven't spent time with Jesus. That's why Jesus hurts you. (laughs) My dad walked over and said, you haven't been tithing at church. That's why. Do you honestly think my dad said that? Not for a minute. Do you honestly think my dad was worried about the ping pong table? Do you honestly think my dad was worried about anything that Lydia had done for her, for him? No, my dad's one concern was her safety. And even though the whole time she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about the ping pong table. And some of you, you just can't get over your performance trap. And you're just like, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And God's saying, 
why are you reminding me about something I've already forgotten about? The Bible says, I've removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Why are you bringing it up? Better yet, why are you thinking about it? And I know some of you, you're sitting here and saying, oh, no, 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 don't, don't tell people that, that God will just forgive any sin. Don't tell people that God just has this unlimited grace because then people are just going just gonna to be all, doing all kinds of stuff and everybody would just be sleeping with each other and everybody's just getting drunk and everybody's doing drugs and they're just, they're, they just won't do right and they're wrong, wrong. Because once you discover the real love of God and you've experienced something that you've never experienced, it changes you. It changes you. Wow, when I fell in love with Jane for that first time, it wasn't like, oh, you're really nice, and then all these other girls. No. It was just like, wow, I found something. Nothing else compares. And if you're sitting here and you've never found Jesus to be wonderful and beautiful and loving, you haven't discovered the real love of God. And I want you to understand that you've got to break out of that performance trap. You've got to get to the point where you say, you know what? Every time I serve, I'm doing it for Jesus. Every time I give, I'm giving for Jesus. Every time I sing worship, I'm worshiping for Jesus. And I'm doing it because of what he did for me 2,000 years ago when he hung on the cross, when he took those beatings for me. Everything that he has done and everything that I do for him is in gratitude. It's not because he demands it. It's because I want to. Hey, parents, do you have to buy your kids any presents this Christmas? No. But I'll tell you what, you're probably like me. And you're thinking right now, I can spend this much money and I'm going to spend every bit that I can on my kids. I'm not going to have anything left over, all reserved, pull out all stops. I want to make sure my kids have the best Christmas ever. And it's already on your mind because there's only six more Fridays left till Christmas. All right? So get on the ball. And so you understand this, but yet you don't think it applies to your heavenly father. So you need to understand from now on, That I may not have planned it, but I know who's behind it. And it's filtered through the Father. And I'm not going to fall into the performance trap. So when you and I meet somebody, we need to understand that all other religions say God loves you if. Fill in the blank. That's all the religions. God loves you if. The gospel says God loves you, period. And for some of you, you really struggle with that. Because you have a hard time even looking at your own life with all your failures. And you're saying... There's no way God could love me like that because nobody else loves you like that. And that's the point. Only God loves you like that. Your own spouse won't even love you like that. Your own parents can't even love you like that to that extent. They have an amazing capacity to love you. But God has this unlimited capacity to love you. The Apostle Paul, he said, I tried to measure the height, the depth, the breadth of God's love. But it's a limitless love. So what often happens, though, in churches is they look at the hurting, they look at the broken, and they say, you're too broken, you're too hurting to be in my church. That's what happens. But you don't understand the love of the Father. We meet people and we see, oh, they're struggling with homosexuality. Well, go find a different church. Oh, you're struggling with alcohol? Oh, there's probably a good church for you. You're you're struggling with uh, your sexual orientation? All right, go find another church. Because we're all really good Christians around here, and we don't want you messing up all the good Christians. You kidding me? Can we all just get off our high horse? You say, well, this person smells like tobacco, and this person smells like marijuana, and you smell like pride. (laughs) Can I just get real for a second? Because that's not this church. 
The church is for the broken. The church is for the hurting. The church is for the one person. I just need help. So when you go to the hospital because you broke your arm, do they say, you're so stupid for breaking your arm. Can't believe you broke your arm. Why would you break your arm? No, they help you. And then what do they do? Hey, in the future, here's how we maybe can avoid not breaking our arm. Don't climb half dome without ropes. All right. Thought. But why would we in the church feel like everybody that comes in the door has to be all put together nice, neat, and keep their nice little garbage and baggage hidden away and act like they have no issues? It's because we as a people love to put up a false image, especially in the Bay Area. We want to look like we've got it all together. And I know I'm not trying to say, hey, you just need to tell everybody in the church your issues. But what I am saying is, I, this isn't, I'm just going to say, this is not a church for you to be the hypocrite and think everybody else is bad and you have no issues. That's not this church. And if you're wanting this church to be that, you can go find a different church. This is a church where we say, hey, if you're hurting, we're here to help. That's just where it is. And that's where you see real life change. But if you want to go to some dead, dry, boring church where you can just get your head filled with just kind of Bible facts and get spiritually obese, then you can go find that church. There's 2,881 in San Jose. But if you're saying, hey, I want to come to a church where if somebody broken and somebody hurting comes in and a church that will gather around them and just say, I'm praying for you, I'm helping you and texting you and loving on you and just saying, hey, you're going to grow. It's okay. If God doesn't have to worry about a performance trap, we're not going to put a performance trap on you. We're just going to be here. We're just going to love. We're just going to help. We're just going to encourage. And just let God just work on him. Because that's what the gospel is. And if you're telling me, and if you're feeling like you've got to live up to the standard, and you're feeling like you can't be around people that don't match your standard, then you've got a higher standard than Jesus. Because Jesus hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the drunkards. He hung out with the rebels. He hung out with the down and out, the tax collectors, the politicians. That's who Jesus hung out with. So you're telling me you have a higher standard than Jesus. And if you do, excellent. Go talk to him about it. Because what, this is hitting at the core of our religiosity. Because we love religiosity. We love to get to the point where we feel like I've arrived. And at the root of it is pride. At the core, at the heart of it. At the core of it, it says, I don't really need God. God is sure lucky to have me, though. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm a fallen creature, and a fallen creature needs God desperately. And so from here on out, we've kind of strayed off. And here is Job, and he's at this point, and that was his friends. And you just study Job's friends and just see if it reminds you of you. Because as I just looked at Job's friends, I thought, man, have I been hard on people that were hurting? Because I felt like there was some sin in their life that they needed to repent. How about the sin in my life? How about the beam that's in my life that I need to take care of? So we need to see this, that here, from now on, I'm going to look at things differently. You see, we don't run from the hurting. We run to the hurting. But then some of you are like, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. this isn't helping me. I, I'm still confused, and, and, and I don't have all my answers. And I want you to not only from, uh, from now on, but I want you to understand this, here and now. You say, what do you mean? Here and now. Job, in the, earlier in the chapter, in chapter 7, I'll just read it. He said this. He says, talking about God, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Arturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Lo, he goeth by me. 
and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. He's saying God is there, but I don't always perceive him. And right now you're confused. You're saying, God, where are you? God, where are you in this? And you're confused because you're saying, God surely wouldn't abandon me. God surely wouldn't leave me. And I went this week and I studied an Old Testament reference in the book of Isaiah. And it's in, in, in connection to the name. And it's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. The Bible talks about the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And some of you, you know people, and you, you, you've thought about naming your children Emmanuel, and it's a beautiful name, it's a wonderful name. But what's great about the name is what it means, and it means God with us. You see, Job was making reference to the fact that, hey, I don't necessarily sense God in this moment, but I know God is here. God is here, and he's here now. See, I need you to understand something, and as you're going through this difficulty, and, and many people say this, and I'm so tired of it, and let me just see if you've heard it before. How many of you have ever heard this, uh, the phrase, the best is yet to come? You ever heard that phrase? The best is yet to come. You're going through a difficulty and they say, don't worry, hang on. The best is yet to come. It'll get a little bit better. Just hang on. The best is yet to come. And then I began to think about that. And I was thinking, it's interesting. Because as you study the Bible, Jesus doesn't wait till after the trial. He's always there in the middle of the trial. When his disciples were in the storm, Jesus was in the boat asleep. And he said, why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful for your life? I'm here and I'm here now. You see, you need to understand something that Jesus is not, uh, Jesus is the best. You don't get better than Jesus. And Jesus is with you here and now. The best isn't yet to come. The best is already here. And for you to understand that truth that as I'm going through this hell, that I'm not waiting for Jesus. I've got Jesus. And I want comfort and I want physical healing and I want emotional healing. But I'm not going to wait for the best because I can't get better than Jesus. And Jesus is here in the middle of my trial. He's here now. He's here now. And for some of you, that's what you need to understand right now. Is that Jesus is here now as you're suffering. He's here now as you're going through that difficulty. He's here now as you're going through those arguments and those fighting. Jesus is here now as you're not sure how you're going to face your job tomorrow. You need to understand that Jesus is here now in this. And Job knew for certain that even though he couldn't see God, he realized that God is going through and God is here and he's here now. And for some of you, that's the words you just need to know this morning. Because you just don't always understand or you don't have that cognizant thought that Jesus is here. Many of you, you keep throwing Jesus off to some preferred future. That when everything's good, that's where Jesus is. Actually, Jesus always showed up in the most difficult circumstances, in the hardest time. That's where God would show up the greatest. It was as people faced their greatest nightmares that that's where God showed up the strongest. Last night, I just read in some devotions to my kids, and we came to the story of Daniel. And it wasn't until Daniel was in the lion's den that God shut the mouth of the lions. And we also read the story of Esther. As Esther went before the king, it wasn't until she went before the king, she stepped into the throne room, that that's when God showed up and did something. It wasn't until the children marched around that seventh day, the seventh time, that God finally brought the walls down. It wasn't until they were in the middle of it that God showed up. And so for you this morning, you need to understand that God is here and he's here now. I'm not waiting for the best. The best, I can't get better than Jesus. And Jesus is here and he's here now. You see, God wants you to do something incredible. He wants you to be a part of something. And yet too many times we say, no, 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 I, I, I can't because I just going through something difficult and I just got to wait till things get better. You know what? What you need to do in the middle of your confusion 
to say, hey, what can I make better? What, what does Jesus want me to do here and now? If he's here and if he's here now, how can I turn this moment into a God moment? How can I do something awesome? My wife and I, we have this saying that we've been saying a lot recently. It's we're running towards the roar. Some of you know this, anything about lions, we're reading a book, and it's been fabulous. And the author talks about how the, the head lion, the main lion, he roars. And his roar can be heard up to five miles away. It's incredible. And, man, he's the, the king of the jungle, they say, this massive lion. But the thing is, it's not the roar that gets you. It's the lionesses. And if you notice the lionesses, they don't have a big mane. The lionesses, they're smaller, more quick, more agile, and they're silent. So as the lion gets up on a rock or gets somewhere and starts roaring, he's chasing the gazelle because the gazelle are afraid of the roar. And he chases them with his roar. He roars in a direction that's kind of hurting these gazelles right towards the lioness because they're silent. You can't see them. They're undetectable. And the author was making the illustration that the thing you're most afraid of is just to roar. So run towards the roar. So what are you afraid of this week? That you're just like, I don't know if I can face that person. I don't know if I can restore that relationship. I am too scared. Do you understand that Jesus is here? He's here now. He is with me. So I'm going to face my roar. The author that wrote the book, two days before Christmas, his five-year-old daughter passed away. And it was a couple days before Christmas. And he said, the worst thing is you didn't get to say goodbye. And he just thought, oh, I'll get to see her grow up. I'll get to see her married. I'll get to see her kids. And he said, it's so hard because my wife and I, we went home. We were wrapping presents while they were at a party. And by the time we got to the party, the ambulance was already there. She wasn't breathing. We go to the hospital. He says, as we were driving home to the hospital, it's the most surreal moment because She's not going with us. And he said, later on that night, I get a phone call from the hospital. And he was like, you know what? I was praying that God would resurrect her. Just bring her back to the hospital. Say, you know what? We got a pulse. We got a beat. She's, she's going to be okay. Instead, the doctor said, the guy's name is Levi. He said, I don't know how to tell you this, Levi, but um, it's a hard conversation. But we kind of need to have this conversation now. Your daughter is... We want to know if we can have her eyes. She's passed away, and we want to know if we can donate some of her organs. And he was like, are you kidding me? I saw her this morning. She was eating cereal. We hugged each other just this morning, and now you're asking if I can do And he was like, everything inside of him just wanted to scream and said, God, do you have any heart? God, where are you? This is not the conversation I want to have three days before Christmas. But then he said, my wife and I, we were reminded, run towards the roar. And he said, yeah. The doctors then called him and said, we want to let you know that your daughter's eyes were used to help two blind children who now can see. And he told about more and more. And he said, you know what? In his book, he was writing. He said, every Christmas is very hard. And he said, every time we start getting very anxious and very worried. He said, you know what my wife and I do? We get a bunch of presents together. And we run towards the roar. And he says, the scariest place for us is that children's hospital. So he said, every Christmas, we go there with balloons and presents. And they think, oh, we're just there to bless the kids. He said, no, 
It's for us to say we're going to face our fears. And for some of you, you're so afraid of something this morning. And I'm telling you, it's time to face your fear because God is here now. The best is not yet to be. It is here now because you have Jesus. So face the roar. Face your fears. Touch somebody next to you and say, face your fear this week. Face your fear. Face that fear. Don't give up on it. There's something. There's a conversation. There's a person. There's something you need to do. There's a step of faith you need to take and it's time to face it but then lastly notice this as we wrap things up and i've simply entitled this last point now and later you see what he mean job has come to the lowest point in his life he's discouraged he's defeated and he says in verse number 20 are not my days few cease then and let me alone that i may take comfort a little before i go whence i shall not return even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. What is he saying? He's saying, I want a little bit of comfort. What did we say? We said we need to get comfortable with being confused. He said, God, would you just take away this butt for a moment before I die so I can have a little bit of comfort? And that's where some of you are at. You're like, God, if you would just lighten up just for a little bit, then you could take me home and just, let's just be done with this. Let's just, let's just end this. I'm tired of this. I, I, I want this to go away. I, I can't have another, another day of this. I just can't take it anymore. And that's where Job had gotten to. And when you get to that point where you say, I just can't take another day, I need you to think of now and later. You say, why am I saying now and later? Because everything you do now affects your later. Everything you do now affects your later. So if you're going to make a decision to say, I'm punching out, I'm done, it's going to affect your later. You say, I, don't, I won't have a later. Yes, you do. You have a later. Your family has a later. Those around you have a later. So what you are doing now affects your later. So what are you doing right now? How are you going to handle the now? What are you doing? Are you making good decisions or are you making stupid decisions? Emotional decisions. Decisions because you're angry. Because decisions because you're hurt. Decisions because you're discouraged. Decisions because you think God doesn't care. Decisions because you think God isn't your father anymore. That God doesn't love you anymore. That you haven't performed enough for God. That you haven't given enough. You haven't served enough. You haven't loved enough. You haven't gone to church enough. And so you're just like, I might as well just punch out might as well just be done with it but i need you to understand in this great moment this moment of difficulty don't go to the place where job is going job is just saying hey if i can just get a little bit of comfort i'll just end it i'll just finish out my life because everything i do now helps me to have a better later so what are you doing now to make a difference Are you just going to say, you know what, life is terrible, life's discouraging, I'm just going to sit down here and just do nothing about it. Then you're going to have the same result, the same life. I tell you what, sometimes I get a little bit discouraged and I'm saying, Lord, what's going on with the church, what's going on with my life? And the best thing for me to do is get up and do something, not just sit there. I said it this week and I wrote it down on my hand. I said, how I feel isn't real. How I feel isn't real. And for some of you, how you feel isn't real. What you need to do is get up and say, I'm going to do something now that will help me later. I may not feel it now. I may not like it now. But you know what? Right now, I'm going to do what I know is right. I'm going to open up the word of God. I'm going to take a verse. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to work at this. There's something that I could do right now. I'm confused as all get out. I don't know, understand this. I don't know why. But I'm going to do something right now. I'm just, just kind of not just going to sit here and just think, well, I'm confused. And God must be out there somewhere. No. If God is 
here and he's here now, then we can have a better later if we will say, what am I doing right now? So what are you doing, parent, right now? You've got a child at home. What are you doing with that child? Are you doing things to help that child have a better later? You say, well, I kind of keep my kids out of church. (laughs) Just what we do. Well, I just kind of, you know, (laughs) we don't read our Bible together as a family. I hope they turn out. Nah, you know, we just kind of, you know, we just let them watch whatever they want. I'm sure it's all good, right? ABC is the family channel, right? It's okay. We just, whatever. Just let them raise themselves. We just let them eat whatever. Actually, around the Bay Area, no, no, no. Parents, one thing you're very good about, you don't let your kids eat whatever. You let them watch whatever, look at whatever, and see whatever, and hear whatever, but you don't let them eat whatever. Because I know my kids. I'm like, Honey, why does it care that they eat organic? Austin eats boogers, all right? Like, really, I think the organic just got canceled out by the booger, okay? So it's, it's all relative for me, okay? But here's where we're at, where we're just like, wait a minute. I, what are we doing now? I, I got this moment. I got this time. Me as a, I, I, don't get, I don't know if I have the next 10 years to serve God, so today I will serve God. You're not guaranteed the next week. So what are you doing this week to love your family, serve God? What are you doing right now? You've got time right now. But yet I often see that we take, we kind of think like, I've got all this time. I've got tomorrow. I've got the next day. Instead of saying, you know what? I want to have a better later. So I'm going to make some decisions that may seem hard now so that I can have that better later, so that I can have that time. So what are we doing now, church? That's why we as a church, we give money to missions. That's why we as a church, this Saturday, we're going to go out and we're going to pass out candy for Halloween and we're going to give out invitations to a church and they're going to have a gospel invitation on it. And that's why we're going to do things now so that we can have a better later, not only as a church community, but then also as people, we need to be about the business of inviting and telling others about the glorious gospel that has so radically changed our lives. And too often what we do is we just kind of say, my life is terrible, so I'm just going to sit down and do nothing. No, no, get out of that funk. Get out of that maze. What What did I say at the beginning? Pain is paralyzing. It is. So we need to come to the point where we say, wait a minute, everything I do now helps me to have a better later. Let's not be ignorant. Look down the future of your life. Is that alcohol really helping you to have a better future? Is that relationship helping you to have a better later? Is that gambling addiction helping you to have a better later? Hey, is that pride going to help you have a better later? Hey, is that arrogant attitude going to help you have a better later? Hey, let's just get real practical. I got a whole lot of issues, and I'm just lifting off mine, all right? I'm just like, just go down. I can go through a whole bunch of my things. Just say, I got all kinds of junk. But we have to say, well, I want to have a better future. What am I doing now to steward it? Everything I do now helps me to have a better later. But then Job makes this amazing statement. And we need to do it because this message, it has a story arc to it. And I want to leave you on a high note. So take your Bible, take your iPad, take your iPhone, whatever, and go to Job 42. We're going to end it with this verse, Job 42. I've given you some background. I've tried to paint uh, a picture of where Job is at, but I need you to understand something. Job 42, verse 12. Go there real quick. And once you've got it, look up at me, but go there. You need to find this. You need to highlight it. You need to mark it. You need to underline it. You need to have this verse for yourself. Job 42, verse 12. 
In the day of technology, I love it. It makes it so easy to put these things on our phones, to have it, to track it. Job 42, verse 12, the Bible says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. You say, what? Yeah. Job's end was better than his beginning. Why? Because how he dealt with the now and later. How he handled the now affected a better later. He didn't just say, oh, okay, I'm just going to get upset. And I'm just going to end it. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to punch out. I'm done. Yo, bye. No, he didn't. And God said, hey, you stayed with it. You stuck with it. And God blessed him. Guess what? He had 10 children. God gave him more than 10. He had three daughters. God ends up giving him another seven. God said, hey, you had this much wealth. I'm going to double that wealth. God said, I'm going to bless you beyond what you could possibly imagine. God took care of Job. Why? Because he stayed. And I want you to understand, the process is what produces the product. You're going through something right now. And God's saying, hey, it's a process. It's tough. It's difficult. But the process is what's going to produce the product. And if we were to bake a cake this morning, I couldn't take rotten eggs and expect to put those in the cake batter and think that I'm going to have a delicious cake. I can't just put that junk in there. I can't say, well, I don't have any salt, so I'll just get some dirt and throw some dirt in there. And hopefully there's some salt in there and just kind of pick any old ingredients and throw it in there. No, no, no. The process is what makes the product. And God says, you're in process right now. And I want to make a great product. And that's how Job can say, when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold this morning. And I know That is discouraging when you're confused. So we need to get comfortable with confusion. Getting comfortable with it. And oftentimes it feels like you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Except you don't know where the picture looks like. And you're like, I I got no reference. I'm just trying to put pieces together. And I'm just trying to make it fit. And I'm doing the best I can. And I don't know. And that's where we're all at. We've got a huge... 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle with no picture. We have no clue what this thing's supposed to look like. And you're just trying to find pieces and put them together. Just trying to find a piece to put together in your marriage. Trying to find a piece to put together with your child or your children. Trying to find a piece put together with your work. Just trying to find a piece put together for church. You're just trying to find these pieces. And it's hard. And it's slow. But that's the process. And God's saying, hey, let's get comfortable with being confused. Let's all stand as we pray.